You're listening to the feed. This is the feed. This is the feed. The feed. You're listening to the feed. In Markham. In Richmond Hill. You're listening to the feed in Vaughan. In Stouffville. In Woodbridge. In Unionville. This is The Feed on 105.9 The Region. I'm Ann Romer with York Region's only news magazine show dedicated to the issues, events, and stories that really matter to all of us who live and work here. On our show today, how to travel safely by air and by car, getting our kids moving this summer, and online networking for women impacted by COVID-19. But we begin with a trip to PIA. Last week, the Greater Toronto Airports Authority launched its Healthy Airport Program, all in preparation for what people are calling the new realities of air travel. With more details here on the feed, we're joined by Scott Collier, VP of Customer and Terminal Services, Toronto Pearson International Airport. Thank you for being with us. Thank you so much. Delighted to join you. So you have partnered with Blue Dot, and I know that they do incredible things in terms of tracking and uh, the science behind a pandemic. So how have they worked with and for you in terms of sanitizing the airport? Well, it's a great question, and this is a brand new uh, partnership for us. We've just only you know established this over the last you know two or three weeks. This horrendous pandemic that's affected us, affected us all has forced us to rethink about how we how we manage the airport and blue dot gives us that innovation that strategic leadership in terms of how to think about pandemics differently and it give us that over the horizon viewpoint of how to track emerging threats so that's how we're using it so it's going to be about prototyping learning together how might we best use them so uh, stay tuned we're going to learn as we go but these are brilliant brilliant people Canadian company and we're just excited to be partnering with them so passengers will be experiencing what you're calling the five point healthy airport commitment. So can you break that down in my language, you know, as, as straightforward as possible? So fundamentally, um, you know, I'd say it this, you know, we've always had a vision to become the best airport in the world and putting our passengers first, but the pandemic, quite frankly, has raised the table stakes for all of us. And job number one for us is, quite frankly, engendering trust and care in our passengers and our employees. It's the opposite sides of the same coin. So first thing we do is to make sure that this airport is open for business and by the way it's extremely healthy so you were committed to putting as you might expect our passengers and employees first we're going to make sure that we recommit to the 400 organizations and 400 organizations actually work at the airport so it's a very very complicated ecosystem and you're only as good as the weakest link so we've got to work together on this uh, we're going to execute you know multi-layered tools across the organization to provide safe and security for the passengers that come in uh, we're going to make sure it's a you know, are at a minimum Toronto Pearson as Canada's premier aviation market. We have to be better than the average. So at minimum, we're going to align with aviation best practice from around the world and try to take it to a next step with technology and hygiene, etc. And we're going to continue to invest and innovate with new technologies now, not talking about it two or three years later, but deploy proven technologies today. But, you know, then to summarize it, job one, two, and three right now as we restart is all focusing on hygiene. Make sure there's no ambiguity that passengers, when they come through, for very comfortable. This is a safe, secure, and clean airport. Now, let's say that I'm a passenger and I have just arrived at Pearson International. Can you walk me through the various steps that I would be going through in order to go from outside the airport to board? 
boarding my airplane. We could certainly try. So as you know, you know, coming to an airport is always, you know, a stressful environment for people, and that's really job one. Is how do we demystify for people? So the first thing you would notice that's different at Toronto Pearson today is that only passengers are well, are currently welcome to actually enter the terminals. So when you come to the terminal, only you, and you'd have to be dropped off or, or park yourself, and you'd have to walk in yourself. So either an employee or yourself as a passenger would only be eligible to come in. Secondly, uh, you'd have to wear a face mask today. So we're the first airport in Canada to mandate the mandatory wearing of masks. So all employees and all passengers must wear a mask throughout their travel journey in the airport, from the curb when you, when you arrive all the way to when you board the plane. In fact, as you stay on the plane to your ultimate destination, what you'll find is a real big focus on social distancing. So as you expect and you hear it in the news all the time today and, and how you, you know, behave every single day with it, grocery stores, etc., is we've, we've mandated and put in place uh, queuing standards that uh, two meters apart at all times. So as you come in to check-in, so whether you go to the kiosk to get your boarding pass or to see a check-in agent, you'll be in a position to keep space from your partner. So queues, while they move a lot faster than they have, they are longer because we're, we keep in separation of a distance. Uh, you'll be engaging Air Canada employees, for example, who are, quite frankly, made up the same way you are, with masks, with gloves in some case. You'll be When you're going through that process, you'll actually be experiencing a lot of touchless technology. So in the past, you have to hand over your passport or your Nexus card or your boarding pass. Today, you'll be able to scan different technologies through that check-in process so you don't have to touch anything. The power will be either in your hands with your phone or on the ticket you already have. And then so when you finish that, you'll drop off your bag and you'll drop off your bag at a self-baggage drop in Terminal 1. So in the past, when the old-fashioned way, you'd have to drop it off to an agent and they would move it along to the belt. Today, you just go to, you go to the baggage drop, you drop it on the, the belt for the automated the baggage mover, you scan your boarding pass, and away it goes. So again, touchless, seamless, and hope, hopefully in most cases, effortless. But for your listeners out there, don't be worried that, you know, if people are struggling with the technology, we'll make sure we have people there to help you through that process. So how do you keep the airport clean? How do you keep the workers disinfected, if you will? How do you keep everyone safe from infection? Well, again, it's 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 multi it's multi layered you know multi layered in terms of a cleaning standpoint. So continuous cleaning in high touch areas, uh, we've deployed. So quite frankly, the airport has never been cleaner today. The the the, the floors are shiny, spick and span. As you might expect, a lot fewer passengers in the terminals today. But continuous cleaning of high touch areas. We have a four level approach to disinfection. So a lot of different environmental friendly products are utilized in all high touch areas on a continuous basis across the airport. Uh, we've introduced new disinfecting processes called fogging. So we have machines that actually fog large areas, whether it be offices, uh, whether it be terminal spaces, and can cover you know, hundreds of thousands of square feet because we have all this heat moving space that's done instantaneously across the airport. And that's done on a, on a continuous basis. We're trialing disinfection tunnels for employees currently. So they walk through tunnels when they're sprayed with an eco-friendly sal- electrostatically charged saline solution to kill any bacteria. It's quite cool. It's quite innovative. Uh, we've deployed air quality monitoring stations within the terminals. We've changed our HVAC, HVAC system, excuse me, so we're 100% fresh air is pumped through the terminals at all times. So taking it very seriously, as you've probably read, you've probably seen, and you see this in grocery stores, we've got over 400 plexiglass installations to protect both our passengers and our employees from any potential 
to any issues that they face. And we've also in the, started a digital concierge service. So historically in the past, if you needed help, you'd be able to go to an information booth. Today, you can do it electronically, and you can um, and talk to a customer service rep anytime you want without actually having to speak directly to them. So make it easier to you and put more power in the passenger, traveling passenger's hand. So, you know, it's, it's you know, things in the benefit of hindsight could have done it two or three or four years ago, but this this incredibly tragic event is forcing us to go faster and taking a more consumer-centric view to our business as we go forward. A lot of people were very excited at the sight and the, the look of the autonomous cleaner when you first rolled this out last week. I know that it's just one item on a long list of ways of keeping yeah. the airport sanitized, but that's pretty cool. It, it is, it's fun. It's funny. I was in the terminals uh, yesterday doing some other discussions with different groups, and it was it was the robot was almost following me during uh, you know uh, this was aisle four and terminal one. It was literally following me. I was worried it was going to actually kind of interrupt our conversation, but it was extraordinary how advanced technology has. It was literally going around the crowds and cleaning the floors right in front of a bunch of people as they were traveling through the airport. So we've got four of those deployed, two more coming, and the, and the remarkable thing about it, it does a great job and it can it can cover an area faster and on a 24-hour basis. So you don't have to stop. It just keeps on going. So it's uh, we're we're pleased about it. And this is really the mindset we have to bring more of this, whether it be on cleaning, whether on security processes, etc. Just do more and more of this to make people feel better about their airport experience. What if a passenger arrives with a fever? Well, let's you know first of all, let's hope that's not the case. But as you're probably aware, um, the government of Canada has announced that effective mid-July, all airports in Canada will be executing uh, temperature checks at, at all the screening points in Canada. So that will be in place July 15th, every single airport in Canada, and that's a great thing. In the meanwhile, at Toronto Pearson, six of our key six of our carriers. There's not many operating today, only about 10 or 12, but including our flag carriers, Air Canada, WestJet, they all take temperature checks of all passengers just to make sure that this is, you know, again, an additional layer of security to identify those passengers who may be having some sort of uh, some fever issues. And there's also, going. we have to remind everybody that every single passenger that who travels today will be asked very specific medical questions about their state of travel, their health, specifically, do you have a fever, do you have a cold, do you have a flu, all of those things which could disqualify people from traveling. So while no one system is 100% perfect. The rigor that's been employed today is pretty extraordinary. And the good thing is, you know, behaviors have changed and we're finding that not only employees have been very supportive of this, but passengers get it as well. So they take this very seriously because they know they have an opportunity to help influence a better outcome for the airport, most importantly for the Canadian economy. Many, many years ago, traveling by air was easy. It was simple. It was pre-9-11. It was now pre-pandemic. Will there ever be a time when and there is, uh, you know, comfort and joy when you're thinking of traveling by air. You know what? That's a great question, and uh, this is you know business that you're very passionate about, and as am I. Um, I remain hopeful. This is a very optimistic business, and you identify. We've had a lot of ups and downs. There has never been anything as cataclysmic as this, as this. But I do think it's a defining moment. I think there's a real recognition, not only in aviation, who's been you know incredibly hurt by this, but just broadly across society, that we have to take the interests of our consumers 
consumers more seriously. Perhaps as an industry, we haven't been as passenger-centric as we could have been because we have, we have tolerated longer lines, whether it's immigration, security screening, et cetera, and that's okay because the reward at the end of the travel journey is, is our destination. But I think what this is going to force us to do is to bring together government, the airlines, the airports, and all the various stakeholders to actually make this value, this consumer value chain, this passenger value chain, if you will, as they go through an airport, seamless, effortless. And what I would really love to see in my, my vision for this is to put more power back in the hands of the passengers so they can travel through the airport at, at, at the times they choose. And if we put more power there through frictionless technology and leveraging biometrics, I think, it'd be, I think we can return to those heady days of the 60s and 70s, perhaps, when we least thought it was easy and it was enjoyable. Uh, is it going to be easy? No. But that's certainly our aspiration, and that's how we're thinking about it as we go forward. Well, the very innovative uh, Healthy Airport program has now been rolled out. Let's hope that Toronto Pearson uh, it rises to the occasion. I have the feeling it will and is a healthy airport and will continue to attract travelers once things begin to change. Scott, thank you for joining us on the feed. Scott Collier, VP of Customer and Terminal Services, Toronto Pearson International Airport. Thank you, Ed. You're welcome. This is The Feed on 105.9 The Region. I'm Ann Romer. So if you're behind the wheel this summer, a few reminders before you hit the road. Tina Cortez now with that story. COVID-19 has forced many to rethink their summer holiday plans. If your vacation includes hitting the road, well, hold on, hit the brakes for a few tips from CAA. Joining us is Nadia Matos, and she is from South Central Ontario, CAA. Nadia, what is tip number one? Well, we're really encouraging drivers to plan and head. If you take that little bit of extra time, you can ensure that your road trip is going to be safe and stress-free as possible. So if you can, call ahead and find out wherever you're going, what's open and what's closed. And what about in terms of the stress level in that vehicle? If you're trapped in the car with maybe a couple kids and, you know, they're getting a little antsy, what can we do? Well, of course, again, planning ahead is going to be crucial. So are there some games that kids can use? And are there are some things that perhaps, you know, like tic-tac-toe or drawing or some uh, some DVDs that you can bring with you if your car has that technology with you? So are there some games that you can use? But also maybe consider packing some snacks. Not only will it help to reduce your need to stop at local restaurants, which may be open or be operating on reduced capacity, but it'll also make sure that nobody gets hangry on your road trip, right? Mm-hmm, absolutely. Now, what about in terms of those essentials, those, you know, the gloves and masks that we might need in this new normal? We should take a few of those as well? Of course, and we recommend kind of creating a little bit of a kit. Just like you would have an emergency car kit on, in the wintertime, we recommend that you have a kit of, of your own during this pandemic that you can have or take into your car. And that would include things like face coverings, gloves, cleaning supplies, disinfecting wipes, hand sanitizer and even possibly a thermometer if you're going a little bit further out. And if you can't find gloves, then, you know, something as easy as some plastic sandwich baggies, they can serve as an effective barrier between your hand and a fuel pump or turning a knob or trying to get into a door. But, of course, you always want to wash your hands and disinfect afterwards. And, you know, I had this conversation with someone recently about finding a restroom because not every place is open these days. You don't have access to those same places you used to. 
What do you do in those situations? Well, if you need to use a restroom, try not to touch anything. Use gloves or, as we mentioned, a plastic sandwich bag as barrier between your skin and the surfaces. And again, if you do have to touch anything, be very aware. Take things a little bit slower. Stop and wash your hands and disinfect them as much as possible. Now, what about if those restaurants and attractions are not open for business? What do we do in those situations? Well, I tell you, during this pandemic, I've been seeing so many more people enjoying the art of the picnic. And so if you can enjoy the great outdoors, pack a picnic and eat outside, not only will it, it will help to reduce the contact that you have with people, but also you'll be able to enjoy the great outdoors. And if we're hitting the road, we don't want any mechanical issues with the vehicle. What should we be doing before we hit the road with the family? Well, we definitely recommend that you check your headlights and your brakes, your turn signals, and even top up your fluids and change your oil. But one thing that I'd like to talk about is really making sure that your car battery is going to make it wherever you're going. Our cars have been parked in our driveways on the side of the road for a few months now. We've only been really using them for essential services or things to go to the grocery or to the doctor or wherever we need to go. So our car batteries may not actually make the road trip. Because even the strongest car battery, a fully charged car battery, loses about 30% of its power on a very, very hot day or a very, very cold day. So if your battery is not uh, already in very good condition, then it may not make it wherever you're going. So you can, if you can, just check your car battery, get a professional to do it. It just will give you that peace of mind that you'll go to wherever you're going safely. And what about in terms of tires or hoses and belts, you know, the mechanics of the vehicle. That should all be checked before we hit the road, right? It should be part of your regular maintenance every year in the spring is to be checking if, you know, your your windshield is okay, if there you need to replace any worn wiper blades or replace any frayed or worn hoses. But if you haven't done it so far because the pandemic really did kind of throw things in for a loop on our regular schedules, then we recommend doing that before you're heading out. Just doing a visual inspection and a few days before you head out, really connecting with your mechanic and getting some of the things that you need to get done for your spring car maintenance done. Now, no matter how much we prep and plan, sometimes things happen, right? We could be stranded. We could be involved in a collision. What advice do you have in those situations? Well, if you're on the side of the highway, what we try to tell people is to not panic and to stay calm. If at all you feel like your life is in danger, call 911. And if there is someone injured or you have significant damage to your vehicle. So all collisions, uh, when, it ha- when they have property damage that exceed about $2,000 have to be reported to police, but they don't necessarily have to be reported right away. So what you want to do if you're in a collision, just make sure that you're safe to move your vehicle, or perhaps even if your vehicle is just, you know, the battery's not working, you want to make sure to move your vehicle to the side of the road. If you are in a collision, record all the details of the collision and exchange information. And then um, if you do need a tow truck, to call a tow truck and to, uh, we recommend that you call your insurance company before you sign or authorize any towing. Nadia, if our listeners want more information, where can they go? For anybody who would like more information, you can always go to our website, which is caasco.com. Time for our first break on the feed. When we come back, Jim Lang gets our kids moving. Stay with us. 
Welcome back. I'm Ann Romer. This is The Feed on 105.9 The Region. Over now to Jim Lang with why it is so important to keep our kids active. Well, like anybody in Canada, there's one of the things that is, is Canadian is beaver tails, the maple leaf, of Mounties, hockey, is participation. And it's been a big part of this nation for decades, and they have done great work making sure Canadians are active. However, there have been challenges during COVID-19. To talk more about it, thrilled to be speaking to one of their top exercise scientist, Dr. Lee Vanderloo. Doctor, how are you? Good. How are you? Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm excellent. I mean, I, I can remember when I was young, Hal and Joanne, Hal Johnson, the amazing Hal Johnson, Hal and Joanne's body break and, you know, getting people active. So I was quite surprised at the recent participation report card, seeing children and youth received a D plus in Canada for overall physical activity. I was like, that was kind of shocking. Yeah, so the reason they received a D-plus is that we're finding from the evidence that only about 39% of Canadian children and youth between the ages of 5 and 17 are actually achieving national physical activity guidelines of 60 minutes of moderate to vigorous physical activity per day. And so some of the reasons behind that are, you know, I think the current trends that we're seeing in society of, um, you know, less opportunities for us to get active when we're at school, over-scheduling, you know, we kind of wear this idea of being really busy as a badge of honor. And then, of course, just the prevalence and omnipresence of screens in our day-to-day lives, whether it be from getting our schoolwork done to how we socialize with our peer groups to uh, just, you know, how we spend our free time. You know, I find myself physical activity is good for my mental health. So our youngest daughter is 17. She's in this category. She's finishing up grade 11 with her online courses. So we got in this habit during COVID-19 that I would get home at around 11.30, quarter to 12. At lunchtime, we would work out together, do body weight exercises and different core exercises for about 30, 35 minutes. We'd have lunch and then she would go on to her day. And it, it, it helped me and, and probably, I, I mean, she's in great shape, but I think it helped her as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a fantastic, um, you know, you know, story to hear. And I mean, we definitely saw some of those more anecdotal cases coming out uh, throughout COVID. And I mean, I think that's why one of the reasons um, at Participation, why we decided to take such a focused look at the family unit, particularly because during COVID-19, many of us haven't spent that amount of time with our family day in, day out in such close quarters uh, for years. And so I think this really demonstrates the importance that, you know, family or the interactions that parents have with their kids with regards to physical activity. I mean, you mentioned the perfect example with you and your daughter is that it added that sense of routine to your day. Obviously, it was atypical with her being at home for school, but being able to do that, you're still allowed to every day to have that time to spend together. So we're still this kind of, I assume, like a bonding activity, all while ensuring that you got that physical activity in. It helped break up the day. It helped break up extended periods of sitting. Um, and then, of course, you know, the, the benefit of obviously being physically active, not just for the physical benefits, but for the, the mental health and the cognitive ones as well. Speaking with Dr. Lee Vanderloo, an exercise scientist with Participation Canada. And doctor, I know there are some people when they talk about physical activity and exercise, there is a bit of an intimidation. Oh, I, I, I'm not at a gym. What can I do? Maybe talk a little bit about some of the body weight exercises you can do at home without anyone watching you that are really good for you. 
Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I think there's always this this inclination that, you know, it only counts if we're going really hard or if it's, you know, hard gym workout or something that we're just dying at the end of it. And while some of us enjoy that or once in a while, it's also good to do. Um, it, that's not the only form of physical activity. So really physical activity is any form of bodily movement. And so if you're someone that really prefers going on, you know, an afternoon walk every day with, you know, someone in your neighborhood or just yourself or the family pet, then that's great and that you should continue doing that and, you know, try to do it at a faster clip because we do know the more, the higher the intensity, the better, like the more bang for our buck in terms of health benefits. Um, but there's no such thing as bad movement. So every little step counts. Um, and the more that we can do and the more regularly and more often, obviously, the better. So if you're someone who's kind of new to physical activity or if you're feeling a bit intimidated or not really sure where to start, I mean, as I mentioned, walking is a great activity. You can try to do, um, you know, for adults, it's 150 minutes of moderate to vigorous physical activity per week. For children and youth, it's 60 minutes a day. Um, you know, if you're kind of far from that, that's okay. Just start slow. Maybe every day try to do 10, 15 minutes. Two weeks from there, try to increase it a little bit. You can increase the length of your walk, the distance that you walk, the speed at which you do it. So maybe try to cover the same distance every day, but each time try to do it like a little bit faster um, or see if there's opportunities to add steps or inclines. So those are some easy ways to slowly progress um, to increasing that. You mentioned body weight exercises. So if you don't have equipment handy um, or don't have a lot of space, you know, if you live in an apartment um, or if there's a lot of people around, you know, doing something as simple as the basics or more of these fundamental movements. So, you know, jumping jacks, skipping, uh, push-ups, um, some sit-ups or scrunches, squats, lunges, again, making sure that you're paying attention to, to proper format. So you're preventing injury. Um, and, you know, with COVID-19, we saw a huge explosion in people really depending on kind of online forms, either YouTube or Instagram, uh, Zoom workouts, where you could kind of follow along in real time, but from the comfort of your own home. And many of these people, these instructors that were doing it, were offering it uh, for free. And it was, again, just a really great opportunity to kind of still, you know, fit some movement throughout your day uh, without, you know, feeling too intimidated. And, you know, I think another thing is to look for something that you genuinely enjoy and you find fun. I think we don't often Sometimes put a lot of emphasis on, you know, physical activity being synonymous with fun. I think we think of it as a chore or an added thing or something we kind of dread, um, where I think if we can kind of turn it on its head and find something we really like, and this can vary from person to person. I mean, I'm not a huge gym person. I prefer to get my activity in other ways, but I have friends and family members that thrive in that environment and, you know, kind of just sticking true to like what works for you. And the same with when you're trying to help find an activity for your child. Maybe there's some trial and error, and some are going to love group sports and others are going to prefer more solo-type activities. But at the end of the day, if we're just moving and we're having fun, the more likely we're going to come back to it. And with a behavior like physical activity, that's what we want to see. And, Doctor, I've always been a big proponent of the theory that your body will let you know when you can handle more or you, you it's okay to do more. It's like, okay, uh, your body's saying, hey, you know, do a few more minutes a day. Go a little longer because my body's feeling good and it's telling your brain to push it a little bit more. Absolutely. And I mean, I think there's a difference between feeling challenged and it's hard. Feeling a little like, you know, stressed when you're doing it, especially if you're kind of new to it or for today, you're like, okay, I'm going to do it and I'm huffing, huffing a little bit more. That's fine. 
and there's a difference between that versus actual pain or something like, yes. oh, I think this, this isn't right or this doesn't feel well. And so, you know, it's important to understand that distinction and to listen to your body in that way. And that's why we also encourage, you know, if you were kind of doing more intense or, you know, you tried a new activity and maybe, you know, you're feeling a bit sore the next day, you don't have to feel the need to like, oh, I need to go hard again. Um, and so we encourage something like called active rest days that, you know, you don't have to do that, but maybe do something more um, like a gentle walk or some gentle stretching or yoga. So you're still kind of doing some movement, but you're giving yourself, your body, that time to, to relax, to repair, um, all of those things that are really important um, for maintaining good health and preventing injury. And, you know, another quick fix, especially as we're starting to come out of um, some of these restrictions, and many of us are still going to be working from home still over the summer months, um, is thinking about just how to break up extended periods of sedentary behavior. So it's important that we focus on both behaviors, not just physical activity, how do we increase that, but how do we also be mindful and decrease how much time we're spending sitting in um, in a day and in front of screens. So whether it's setting a reminder on your phone that, you know, every hour you're going to stand up, you know, go uh, get some water, fill up your coffee, stretch a little bit, just to kind of break up those periods of uninterrupted sitting is really important. Um, if your kids are doing something with schoolwork or if they're watching a show, it's maybe after every episode, again, doing something just to kind of break up that extended sitting and just looking for more opportunities to make act or family time, active time. And that's really what we want to drive home uh, from participation. You know what? You're preaching to the converted. I love everything you're saying. You make so much sense. Participation continues to do so much great work in this country to keep Canadians active and healthy. Dr. Lee Vanderloo is one of the exercise scientists there. I cannot thank you enough for educating us, educating me about being healthy and being active and doing it in a smart way. You guys all do such phenomenal work. I just want to thank you on behalf of the listeners and thank you so much for spending some time today. Oh, well, we really greatly appreciate the opportunity to come on here. And, you know, we want people to know that we're here to support them and, you know, to visit our website because we have a ton of different tools, resources, downloadable kits, all things to help families um, stay active, particularly as we're coming out of COVID, lots of resources, all free because we want um, we want physical activity to be a part of every Canadian's day-to-day life. And give so that, thank you for this. Yeah, no problem. Give the website a shout out so people can go on there. Yeah, so we encourage you to visit uh, www.participaction.com. Also look us up on social, so Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter. Our handles are all at Participaction, uh, available fully in French and English, so we're fully bilingual. Um, all of our resources, content, we have our Participaction app free, also provides you with targeted stuff just for you, so it's not just kind of a blanket um, content that you're going to be getting. And now with the release of our report card, we're launching our uh, active family pledge where we're encouraging um, all families to kind of take a stand and declare themselves, you know, an active family. So, you know, we, the Vanderloo family, are an active family. And, this, you know, we kind of pledge that over the next few weeks, we're going to try to do one active activity as a family or whatever you want your active pledge to be. Um, There's certificates, there's 
stuff all online to help um, secure that. And again, it's a great opportunity for you to kind of a little bit of bragging or showcasing, you know, across Canada that this is what our family's doing um, to get active. And I'm excited to see the variety of activities that get posted because I think it's also a great way to kind of get ideas if you're kind of stumped on what can I do with my kids this summer. Kind of seeing what other families are doing with their kids I think is great. And bonus is that we have a ton of great prizes and gift cards from Sport Check uh, to be awarded to to families as they're um, entered into draws for posting material. Um, and so all of this stuff can be used towards just further helping them stay active during the summer months. That's awesome. Dr. Vandaloo, thank you so much and continue great work with the participation. Thanks so much for having me. Take care. Bye-bye. So if your child's summer camp has been canceled because of COVID-19, we have a super idea that is really close to home. Galit Solomon explains. Erin Alfasi is the co-founder and spokesperson for Backyard Camp, and she joins me now. Erin, welcome to the feed. Hi, thank you so much for having me. These, of course, have been unprecedented times on so many levels. Uh, COVID-19 has had a huge impact on how we live our lives. And, of course, our children have been impacted in big ways as well. Before we get into those details, tell me a little bit about Backyard Camp and what it is that you do. So Backyard Camp was started by a couple of parents, myself, and another parent where we were just chatting about what are we going to do with our children this summer. School is wrapping up and we know that they need a routine and they need things to keep them busy all day. And so we came up with the idea of launching a newsletter that uh, parents or caregivers can sign up for. And then we will send them activities every day that they can complete with their children. The week before, we send out an email that has all the materials that you might need for the upcoming week Mm. so that they're ready and prepared and they can carry out these activities. That's great. So so give me um, examples of some of these activities that are included in some of your newsletters. They're actually really excited. Today, our first newsletter went out, so camp has begun. Um, And some of the activities that we've given are things like doing an emoji game where the kids can draw their own emojis and do a story that is associated with that emoji, um, nature scavenger hunts. We're great. trying to keep things with just materials that you already have at home or just the dollar store, things that are mm-hmm. easy for parents to plan and fun for kids to do. Right, and affordable. That's that's a great idea. Now, you recently made a pledge to raise $25,000 to support Kids Help Phone. Why this particular organization? And tell me about the inspiration behind this idea. So we really... The whole goal of Backyard Camp is to give back to the community. Um, Our newsletter is completely free, and we really want it to help reduce any burden. So we we have everything is free, so there's no financial burden, but we're also um, really big on making sure that parents have a stress-free summer and kids have a fun summer. Summer is supposed to be a lot of fun and engaging, and so we wanted to partner with an organization that also supported children's mental health and so kids help phone really fit right in there perfectly right i remember actually in covering um uh, some of the news that was coming out of uh, kids help phone around the time that covid was 
at its height for Canada and locally here in the GTA. Um, and and mm-hmm. I remember um, the kids' um, help phone saying that the number of calls that have come through has increased by 300%. So clearly there oh. was a need for the service. Uh, so, so really great choice there uh, as well in terms of, of you choosing this particular organization. Now, um, just out of curiosity, because I was, I was looking through your, your website, lots, I, I have a child myself, so I'll definitely be signing up to your newsletter. Um, tell me a bit about the Backyard Camp Challenge. Is that, um, is that um, something that's affiliated with social media? What is the challenge all about? Yeah, so we have the Backyard Camp Challenge or BYC Challenge. Mm-hmm. And we're really trying to engage our community to give us and the community ideas of what their children love. And we want this sense of community because that's what happens at camp. Kids are social. They're with other children. They're seeing other kids and playing with other kids. And part of that is lost this summer. Sure. Is lost this summer. Yeah. So if people post their children doing other activities that we've suggested or their own ideas, and then our kids can watch it. It could even be a challenge. You know, somebody sets up an obstacle course and says, my son did this in two minutes. How fast can your children do it? And then mm. we're hoping that it, it gets to some of that social aspect as well and that sense of community. Community, yeah, and socializing. That's excellent. Now, I'm okay. assuming that this has taken up uh, quite a bit of time for you and, and, and your partner. You said there's another person who's involved in this process, yeah, the, yeah. the other co-founder. Um, so how much time has it taken? <laughs> It's, it has taken up quite a lot of time, and we do have a team. Actually, I think we're up to a team of nine right now. Okay. Um, some of the IT background people, but also a team of three teachers that are reviewing all of our activities mm. and curating our activities. So it's, it's, it's taking time, but <laughs> it's all come together, and we're super excited yeah. that it finally launched today, and uh, we're getting really great feedback, which is so nice, and it makes all that time that we've spent really worth it. Right. Yeah, I know. It sounds like it. And do you have kids yourself? I do. I have three children. Okay. Um, I have a nine-year-old son, or he'll be nine in two days from now, a six-year-old daughter, and a four-year-old son. Okay. All right. So this is all very relevant for you as well at this time. That's right. Yeah, it all came out of, what are we going to do with the kids this summer? Yeah, personal experience, right? And I'm sure there's going to be exactly. so many f- uh, parents out there who, once they hear about what you've done, will will definitely be signing on to that uh, uh, that newsletter. So where can we find you uh, online to sign up? Yeah, so backyardcamp.ca is our website, mm-hmm. or you can sign up through our Facebook page, which is backyardcampca. Excellent. Erin Elfasi, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. When we come back, online networking for women impacted by COVID-19. This is The Feed on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back. This is The Feed on 105.9 The Region. I'm Ann Romer. Because of COVID-19, an overwhelming number of Canadians are looking for employment. Afua Ba now with a program that helps women transition into work in this new economy. It's undeniable that COVID-19 has affected the job market. More so, affected women trying to enter the job market. This is where Jennifer Hargreaves comes in. She's founder and CEO of Talent, an organization that hopes to help women 
trying to get a job during this volatile time of COVID-19. So joining me to chat today to talk more about the organization is none other than Jennifer Hargreaves. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. It's our pleasure. Okay, so first off, for those who may not know, can you talk to me about what Talent is about? Sure thing. It is a job board and virtual networking platform that helps professional women find work that works for them. So really flexible work. Awesome. Okay, and so how long has this organization been running and um, maybe how has it maybe changed since sort of COVID-19 has been into the mix? Yeah, sure. Well, we started about four years ago and uh, really it was just about connecting women to listed jobs that promoted flexible work options or had some flexibility in the roles. Um, But since then, we've launched since COVID and actually just before COVID even, uh, we launched a virtual networking platform to connect women to word of mouth opportunities and recommended opportunities. So that's sort of like the hidden job market. The virtual talent community that we have is also a really positive and inspiring place to connect as well. So as you can imagine right now, it's more important than ever to have community. Can you talk to me about how COVID and maybe the current employment climate already, it was already a bit difficult as it is uh, a woman trying to navigate into the job market. COVID-19 has sort of added on to that mix. So can you talk to me about how right now it's impacted women and basically where we go from here? Women have been, you'll probably have seen in a lot of the news reports, they're calling it a a she session. Some of the economists have, have put that term out there, and rightly so. We're seeing women have been disproportionately impacted by the pandemic. Um, one one reason is that women are in more client-facing or customer-facing roles, but also more women hold primary caring responsibilities for children. So what I've seen in my own personal circle and within my network are that women who are in dual working families are taking a bit of a step back in their career to be able to be home and have look after their children, um, to do homeschooling, to, you know, somebody at the end of the day has to look after the kids. And unfortunately, with more women having uh, that primary responsible role, it tends to be them. A lot of the more work from home sort of model is is taking the, the front and center stage. How do we then help women be able to take advantage of this opportunity and take advantage and maybe get a more, uh, a better role in maybe the workplace that they're at with this sort of flexible work from home schedule that's now being introduced into our economy? Yeah, it's very uh, positive. I'm, I'm hoping that this is a silver lining coming out of COVID is that more companies are becoming flexible and they're really looking at how they evaluate work. So before I would say in the traditional kind of work environment, work will be evaluated by, you know, you're at the office between the hours of nine to five. What we've seen with the pandemic is this sort of institutional mindset around flexible work and productivity has been catapulted into the future. So productivity is now being measured in output um, and results versus uh, hours worked, which is fantastic. And it offers more opportunities for women because you can work when work works best for you versus having to be one place at a certain time between certain hours, certain hours. It's actually quite positive and I'm very excited by this. Well, I think it's good to be seeing this moving forward and maybe hopefully it will be a more permanent change uh, instead of reverting back to the more traditional nine to five work schedule that we've been so used to for decades. Yeah, we've been really given an opportunity to build something from scratch, I think, you know, Everything's been so disrupted. The workplace has been disrupted. The way we live has been disrupted. Our normal has been disrupted. And it's not often we're given an opportunity to build something 
new. But we have to start thinking in new ways to sort of thrive and really proceed in this new way of working and in this new world. And I think the companies who start adopting that mindset and start thinking a bit differently about work are going to be the ones who we're going to see attract the best talent and hopefully create a more equitable workplace as well. Absolutely. And so just touching on that just a little bit, if you can maybe talk to the organizations that will probably be listening, how important it is to create spaces for women and uh, basically how women can sort of network differently in this sort of uh, COVID-19 space that we're operating in right now. Yeah, and I would say, Afla, one of the, the key points for building equitable workplaces is actually make it equitable. So if you're creating flexible workplaces, it's not just flexibility for women, but flexibility for everybody. Because as long as it's still an accommodation for a person, you're going to get bias and discrimination creeping in. So, yeah, so when you're starting from scratch and you're building from scratch and you're making it equitable, I think there's, again, this real opportunity for seeing everybody thrive. And really, that's where you get the innovation. That's where you get the cost savings. And that's where you get the loyalty. And it mostly comes with trust and accountability as well. So making sure you trust your employees and you build that culture of accountability. It's so important. Aside from, uh, you know, creating talent, uh, you recently launched Outplacement, a program designed for women and just allowing employers to sort of gift their female employees. Uh, Talk to me about what Outplacement is about, what exactly it means and how it helps women. So it's funny, I was just going to say, I'm very excited about this product, and I am, but it's not under the best of circumstances. So we already have this awesome and positive community to help professional women navigate their journey to finding flexible work. Um, So we help women find work. So what we're able to do right now is work with companies who are furloughing or laying off or letting employees go to take their women into this really positive community and environment and help them on that journey to finding work that works for them. Now, the work that works for them is often with entrepreneurs or small businesses or somebody who needs more flexible talent. So really, it's a win-win-win all around. We're recycling awesome professional women and we're putting them in placements that really work for them so they can get back to work faster and contribute to our economic recovery. That is absolutely great. And I'm sure women are probably going to be jumping up on this when they hear about this. Thank you for the creation of this. If uh, anyone wants more information, wants to get in touch with you, wants to sign up for outplacement, how do they do that? Yeah, just visit my website at wearetalent.com or connect to me on LinkedIn. I'm always happy to make connections, to network and to meet people. So if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to reach out or connect with me. Perfect. And then finally, if you have maybe any message for any woman out there that is just trying to navigate the job market during this uh, day and age. Absolutely. Is opportunities are out there and they still exist. So tap into your network and you will find work out there that works for you. It is possible and you can do it. Awesome. Jennifer Hargreaves, founder and CEO of Talent, doing some great work out there for the community and for women. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Afla. Next on the feed, a constant flow of financial support announcements coming out of Ottawa to help us understand who is eligible for what and when. We are joined on the feed by Francesco Sorbera, MP for Vaughan Woodbridge, also the Parliamentary Secretary, to the Minister of National Revenue. Thank you very much for being with us. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you for having me on air and and a big hello to all your listeners. Well, we uh, appreciate that here at 105.9. 
the region. And let's start with our young people. So there's something called the I Want to Help platform, and it's tied to the Canada Student Service Grant Program. Can you explain that and who it benefits? Well, it's, it's another measure we put in place to help students. We know this year is very extraordinary due to COVID-19, and we put in place a program, the I Want to Help program, where you can go to the IWantToHelp.org website, and it's a program in place where students and, and recent graduates can earn from $1,000 up to $5,000 by uh, volunteering their time with, uh, with a, a number of organizations. You call it serving your community, which is a lovely way of putting it, volunteering, so important. It's really at the essence of how this country, uh, you know, kind of keeps itself together. Let's talk about what opportunities might be out there for young people and how it is determined whether they receive a thousand, two thousand, or the maximum five thousand dollars. Well, first of all, we, we, we turn the phrase empowering students and supporting communities because we know there are many, many, many students out there, recent graduates, who want to get experience, who have certain skill sets, and we want to get them uh, involved. And, and on the IWantToHelp.org website, there are a number of videos that students can, can look at and get the information they need to get themselves volunteering. Now, in terms of whether it's the $1,000 they earn or up to $5,000, that really depends on how many hours they contribute uh, to volunteering within the communities. Now, we are still in the throes of a pandemic. We have moved to stage two, but there still are restrictions uh, when it comes to coming together with other people. Will that be a deterrent, a, a hindrance when it comes to finding good volunteer opportunities for our young people? Well, I, I would say at this moment in time, because of the pandemic, we need more volunteers than ever. And we need, we need to empower these students and recent graduates to get involved in our community. And not only thinking about today, during the pandemic, but what comes afterwards? We know resources uh, from our volunteer organizations are stretched thin. We know the government has given uh, volunteer organizations uh, support and services and, and direct uh, direct funding initiatives, but we also know they need people involved, and we need people in our community uh, helping our senior citizens, uh, helping our, our, our most vulnerable, and we need them volunteering, and, and this I Want to Help program uh, gets them doing it and also allows them you know, to earn uh, some needed I uh, need a grant uh, in recognition of their service. Do you think that the experience that some of these students might uh, have at the end of all of this, at the end of the summer, when they're heading uh, in their next direction, whether it's uh, to further their education or shift gears, will it help them understand what their path should be? You know, experiencing volunteerism in a way that they would never have thought that they should or could do before the pandemic. Absolutely, and I, I believe in, in, in fundamentally in every young person getting uh, community hours, uh, being involved in their community, uh, discovering uh, the many different communities that exist within the community, the many different uh, individuals who, who need, need assistance, uh, understanding different cultures and, 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 and different paths of people that are here in Canada. And I think it, what it does, it broadens an in, in, in individual's uh, horizon. It, it enriches their experience uh, 
of not only getting that in-class educational experience, but outside of class. So if you're, you know, you're enrolled in a, in a current uh, program, university or college program, looking forward going and going back in September, uh, in between, getting that experience within your community and, and learning and learning a new skill set, uh, helping out within the community, that to me on a resume only enriches a person's opportunities later on uh, down in life. Do you think that there is a volunteer spot for every post-secondary student or recent grad in York Region that wants to be a part of this? Well, I'm not sure if there's a spot for everyone, but let's just say we want to get as many people involved and many young people involved in volunteering in our community as as possible. Uh, We want them to to investigate the many, many great organizations that we have here in York Region, here in the city of Vaughan, that do really good things day in, day out, that make our community what the community is really about and how blessed we are to live here and how much we can make it a better place to be and a better place to live. And, you know, if these young people, they're under 30 years old, that's one of the requirements, uh, either attending a a post-secondary education institution or just having completed, getting those volunteer hours and just learning, getting that skill set. Volunteering, to me, is, is, is is, is the most humble service you can provide within your community, but it's also one of the most learning avenues that you can take a hold of. And, and I encourage young people within our community and the parents listening to 105.9, the region today, to get their kids and remind them uh, this is a great way to earn uh, you know, from $1,000 to $5,000 by giving back to your community. Let's go from one end of the spectrum to the other, and that would be established businesses who have really struggled uh, right across Canada, but also when we look in our own backyard here in York Region, the Canada Emergency Business Account Program has been expanded. So what does that mean? Well, what this means is this is very important. The CBA or the Canada Emergency Business Account, as you referred to it, uh, this is a program that's been that's been utilized by over 700,000 businesses across Canada. Canada, uh, and now it's going to be uh, including self-proprietors. So let's just take it at a very granular level. Think of a hair salon, the way the hair salon is structured. Uh, you may just rent out the chairs to your other stylists or other barbers, so you may not traditionally have uh, what's called a, uh, a salary paid to these folks. They just rent out the chairs, and you pay all the bills, and you cut, you know, you do your own thing. So this allows hair salons, for example, uh, to apply for the SIBA loan because they're incurring the same expenses as say another business where it's structured in a different manner and and this is something that a lot of businesses in the Canadian, the Canadian Federation of Independent Business have asked for so I'm very 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 happy to to have the SIBA uh, available to self-proprietors uh, to businesses that pay in dividends uh, rather than a traditional payroll uh, and in my riding of Vaughan we're bridging across York Region this is literally going to benefit you know if I can say tens of thousands of businesses but literally I, I believe thousands of businesses across York Region. It is a $40,000 loan, but $10,000 is forgivable if certain requirements are met. Hmm. How do people find out more about this? Where do they go to get the information they need to start down this path? Oh, very quickly, of course, online. Just type in uh, CEBA, SIBA, and it'll it'll uh, bring you right to the site, uh, Canada Emergency Business Account, after you type in SIBA. Also, please contact, uh, for every business out there, business owner out there, I, we know how hardworking they are, these business owners. We see it day in, day out. Uh, go to your primary financial institution. Uh, the program is delivered through your, your, your financial institution, so you go to your primary bank that you deal with, and, and they, will, they have all the tools that are there 
there to help you. Uh, they're obviously been doing it for the last several weeks, so they, they're there to help you, and they're there to assist businesses. We need these businesses to survive. They employ uh, literally hundreds of thousands of people here in York Region. Uh, they make our community stronger, and we know we can't have a successful community on any level if our small business owners are not successful and aren't supported during this most extraordinary period of time. Francesco Sorbera, MP for Vaughan Woodbridge, Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of National Revenue. Thank you for trying to help us make sense of all of this and dollars and cents. Well, uh, thank you. And, and as we move along during the summer, uh, I wish everyone, uh, all the listeners of 105.9 in the region, a, a wonderful summer, a safe and healthy summer. And, and let's continue to heed uh, the advice of our medical officers of health, our public health officials, and, and, and we'll continue to beat down this curve and, and let's get to that normal that we all want to get to uh, with a little patience, uh, but definitely uh, we'll, we'll be able to get to it nonetheless. Here, here. Thank you. For the very latest developments on COVID-19 and exclusive updates from York Region's Medical Officer of Health, go to 1059theregion.com. I'm Ann Romer. Thank you for listening.